BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And in St. Louis, every year, 2,000 people are shot. Every year, 2,000 people are shot. Uh, and where this child was murdered this week, um, that neighborhood uh, was just as violent five years ago, just as violent 10 years ago. And so the violence that we're seeing in these neighborhoods, these same neighborhoods year after year after year, is a symptom of situations that we have allowed to fester in these neighborhoods. Uh, and we will continue to see it. It is a predictable result of the kind of conditions that we allow to fester in too many neighborhoods in St. Louis City. What are the conditions? Extreme poverty, extreme vacancy, lack of jobs, lack of quality education, uh, really lack of attention from the city. Even uh, the rec centers, even yeah. having the, the rec centers. We, when we were growing up, the rec centers were, were well-staffed. Uh, they were invested in so you can go there and learn skills and, and uh, have, have, you know, productive, spend your time productively opposed to now, our rec centers are in deplorable conditions. So there needs to be a heavy investment in our rec centers also. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's what everyone is saying is, and what I think that we're not articulating, is we're dealing with the cycle of hopelessness. And when we talk about preventing crime, as a city, as um, law enforcement, we have to be proactive. Right now, when criminal justice is the, the only deterrent that we use, that we say over-policing, prosecuting. But what we have to do is prevent this act from happening. And that means we have to have a proactive approach, and that is by public health lens, which we're not talking about. To address violent crime is not to continue, and I'm not saying that we cannot pursue justice with the criminal justice system to take that person, that crime driver, off the street. But when are we going to start, as a city, talking about let's stop this incident from even happening? You know, as a prosecutor, you're tired of talking about to the family about a case, about taking that individual through this process that we're going to get justice. But at the same time, this young person should not have been, even been killed. And when are we going to, as a city, say, let's be proactive? What we are failing to address is we may take that one person off the street, but there's three or four people coming behind that person because they're, we're dealing with this cycle of hopelessness. How can they care about anyone else's family member or my family if they don't care about themselves? And so we have to, to address the cycle of hopelessness in the community by giving people the resources that they need to address trauma, to address those root causes of what fuels this vicious, violent cycle of hopelessness. And until we start talking about that, we always have these quick, um, box kind of programs that say, hey, this, let's try this. And I'm not criticizing any program, whether it's Cure for Violence, whether it's the circuit attorney's alternatives to incarceration programs, but we have to be proactive. And until we are proactive in our approach to give people the need and the help to one before they become into this most violent incident or this outrage, we have to address that our, our city, our people in, our, in communities in the city 
or affected by trauma, and no one's dealing with the trauma. As the only healthcare professional and prosecutor, understanding that the public health lens deals with those root causes, what fuels violence, what fuels that person picking up a gun to even deal with situations in, in this manner that we can't understand, we have to get to that. We have people who are have bullet wounds, who are traumatized, walking around, hurt people, hurt other people. But we're not dealing with that pain. We're not dealing with those broken systems that fuel the things that we're dealing with. We're dealing with the aftermath, and we can't continue to deal with the aftermath, which we will deal with that, but we have to bring resources up front. We can save people. We can save young people by getting people, our communities help. It's not just, it's beyond just lack of jobs. It's resources, mental health resources. It's employment resources as well as housing resources. We have food deserts. We have you know, broken educational systems that fuel this lack of hopelessness, but we're not talking about that as a city. And until we sit down and have these tough conversations on how we have individuals in our community that wanna deal with incidents, not calling the police to deal with an incident, but taking matters in their own hand because of this trauma and this violent tendencies, we have to, we have to address why would someone pick up a gun? So, how, so how, do, how do we go about addressing those problems that you pointed out and they are valid and they are profound and they're deep? So how do we address those problems? I mean, we need just as many social workers and mental health providers and healthcare providers in the front end as police. What we talk about, we always have a law enforcement model, more policing, more mm -hmm. prosecution. But if we gave people the resources when there's a need, when there's a young person whose family does not have the resources to feed themselves, when we have a person who's struggling to, to have a decent income or living, we need to be there to help because that, the, the Maslow hierarchy of needs, everyone wants to have food, shelter, safety, that's basic needs. And if we don't provide those basic needs for every individual in our city, then we're gonna have the problems we're gonna have. We have to start, it's a complex problem, it's a difficult problem, and it's the hard work, and it takes a lot of money. It's not gonna be this, you know, and this is not to criticize a program or any kind of innovative idea that I know President Lewis Reed is talking about, but it's, it's beyond just a $500,000 solution. It's a, it's a solution that, as our communities looks at how we fund innovative programs to, one, address the root causes, we have to put real money where our mouth is. If we gave people resources to feed their families in the beginning. We give people resources when they go to prison, which is ridiculous because we, I can give you $30,000 a year to incarcerate you, give you the mental health programs, give you the different things. Once you're affected, you're in the system, but what does that do? We're throwing money on the back end. Let's throw $30,000 for each person in the front end. If we, you know, our alternatives to diversion programs, it takes less to, to divert someone and give them the healthcare resources, give them the mental health resources. It takes less than 95% of the, the amount of money to incarcerate somebody, to hold them in jail, than to do these programs, and they're more effective. And they're done around this country where recidivism, reduction of, of violent instances go down, and the health of the community. We're not talking about the health, the total health of the community. And we need the criminal justice system to be there, but we also need that public health model to intersect and let's have a plan. Like we should, you know, bullet wounds, like I hear Mr. French talking about, we have many people who are living like war veterans, PTSD. We have mothers and, and children who the effects of seeing, like these, in this incident with Xavier Osanga, his sisters were performing CPR for their little brother. 
Do you think those kids are not going to have trauma? They're not going to think, now i got to pick up a gun to, and I'm, I'm not saying they will, but it's a, a pro high probability that the trauma they're experiencing would make them act out, make them be hypervigilant, make them look around and show, now i got to start being tough because i got to protect myself because I saw this devastating incident. We're not addressing the violence, those, those, those incidents that our community is seeing in many different instances, even just the news media. Yeah, yeah, oh, hold on, I gotta take a break. Good point, good point. And I'm gonna let you respond when we come back. When we come back, we're gonna hear from family members as well as doctors who are working to save young lives. Stay with us, we're back. We have to do something. We have to be proactive and do something to stop this. And protest, yes, we need to protest, but we need to get in our children's lives. It makes me angry, it's frustrating. Our children shouldn't be afraid to be outside. They shouldn't be afraid to go outside and play. To hear more, listen to the podcast. Just search for The Pulse of St. Louis. Welcome back to The Pulse of St. Louis. Before we went to break, we were talking about trauma and mental health, and the circuit attorney, Kim Gardner, made some valid points. And now, President Reed, I want to give you a chance to respond. Yes. Uh, everything that the circuit attorney talked about, that's why I'm advocating cure violence. You know, um, to address these things, if we want to just start from scratch and try to create something to address these things, we'll be here the next hundred years. And statistically speaking, we will probably fail at it, which is why it's important to, important to, to take a model that's been measured, that's been put in place, that's worked in areas just like St. Louis all across this nation and also internationally, right? And put it in place here in our city. Now it's gonna cause people to do business differently than they have done in the past, right? Cure violence starts out by saying, uh, you cannot arrest your way out of the problem. It doesn't work that way, right? It is a public health approach to addressing the issues of public safety. It was created by a physician, the former head of the World Health Organization, who was not uh, you know, a criminologist or anything like that, right? But he understands how you begin to heal family, heal people, like some of the things that the prosecutor laid out. How do you begin to take some of these kids who have been so traumatized you know, as young people and all they see is despair and things throughout their community and they become a product of that. How do you change them, right? And that's why we need a program like Cure Violence that specializes in that, that has a methodology that has been proven to work. We can drive our murder rate down uh, in the first year of having Cure Violence in the city of St. Louis, somewhere between 40 and 60% first year has never happened here in the city of St. Louis. What does that mean? That means that a lot of the people through that process now have, be, have are on, their, on the road to cure, right? That means that families that were, weren't stable before are now stabilized. That means that our school systems are fixed and all this other stuff, right? So we have, just like other cities across this nation, we have a, good, we have a ton of nonprofits operating right here in the boundaries of the city of St. Louis. You talk to any of these families, including the family that just lost uh, young Xavier, right? You talk to any of these families about any of, those, any of those resources, they can't tell you how to get to them or what they are and what's available, right? We need those connectors. Cure Violence also has a component that connects all of those things, right? So the data in terms of, of, of looking to say whether it works or not, we're way past that. 
well, because the data shows that it works. If it's such an effective program, how come it is not being implemented in the city of St. Louis? Uh, that's, both of us had the same question. We've, we've been, I, Shirley, I've been working on this for what, multiple years trying to get this thing done in the city of St. Louis. Uh, public safety, the time we're talking about now, that is an executive function, right? You know, as the head of the legislative branch, I have a bully pulpit that I use, and I've been on your show talking about this in the past. Uh, and we continue to push the administration. We push the Slay administration. Now we're pushing uh, the Cruson administration to do it. We've made some good headway under the Cruson administration, right? Uh, you know, they they now have have gotten to the point where they say, okay, let's look at something. Here's the thing: uh, there are a a, a ton of public safety programs in this nation, but only a handful that are data-driven that have been proven to work multiple times and replicated across this country, right? So why would we waste our time with hotspot policing and things of that nature when we know they don't work? Right, we had hot so spot here's policing question. under Here's the another question. I don't mean to cut you off because people are dealing with the here and now. Yeah. And I appreciate the fact that you are working hard trying to get your program implemented. I can appreciate that. What are we doing right now? Well, Antonio, oh, go ahead. Well, go, what no, we're no, doing no, right ahead. now is the prosecutor of the city of St. Louis, you know, we have created alternative programs. So we have the first um, Young Offenders Diversion Program, which focuses on that 17 to 25 age group, individuals who make bad choices that are more likely to be the violent individuals as well as victims of violent crime. We're putting, we're bringing health resources within our office to provide the trauma-informed counseling, um, the cognitive behavior therapy, different therapies that help prevent that next incident, as well as we have the first and only um, opioid diversion program because we're dealing with a lot of opioid deaths in our city. We're leading, I think, the nation in that, and we have addiction-trained physicians within the prosecutor's office that are, one, giving people access to treatment as well as outreach and hooking them up with um, longer-term treatment, but it's community-based. We also have, um, we're bringing health systems inside our office because what we find in a a Medicaid lacking state that I have to bring a whole, a whole body person who has a healthy mind and body is more likely to be successful in any program. So we're bringing Gateway to Better Health inside our office and carries TL to provide those services because that addresses the root causes of what we're talking about. We're also in school. So even as a prosecutor, I'm not in the schools as a juvenile program. I'm in the schools to prevent that next incident from happening to understand working with a gang intervention unit where those crime drivers are so we can prevent that next shooting, that next death. But what we need, and I agree with um, President Reed, that we have to go forward, but what is holding this up is status quo. Because when you have a prosecutor saying we should do something different and we can't get funding, we are challenged about our programs and I can show my programs are successful, People who are gone through these programs are less likely to commit another crime. They are healthier, happier, productive citizens, and they're not coming back. We have examples in Milwaukee where over 90% of their caseload is in diversion, screened for diversion, and their recidivism rate has gone down 5.5%, and that's a similarly situated city. We have to start with the public health piece and the criminal justice piece, the criminal justice piece is gonna to prosecute to the fullest. But until we have that public health model, and I'm gonna say, look, we have great nonprofit or organizations, but when you are in the criminal justice realm, 
We can't wait six weeks or six months to get a bed. We can't wait two months to get somebody in. We have to have those services, that integration of services. We have to have that network right now. And so yeah, what I'm trying to do is create right. that. And I appreciate the fact that you are working on that and I appreciate all that you're doing and thank you so much for being here. We're out of time. Sorry, sorry, you gotta come back. All right, when we come back, we'll show you how a local nonprofit is helping young girls rise and make their dreams come true. Stay with us, we're back in a moment. Welcome back to the Pulse of St. Louis. You know, Rise Society, the nonprofit arm of the Rise Collaborative Workspace, is hosting the Early to Rise Women's Leadership Conference August 25th for girls in their junior and senior year of high school. And joining me now, Alana Hobson Morris. She is a senior at Rosada Kane. Tam Nguyen, she is a senior at Fox High School. Rita Ruthsatz, she is the founder of the Early Rise Conference. And Kate, Kate, I, I beg your pardon, I forgot how to pronounce your last name. No I think Wigman? Wigman, yes. Wigman, co-president of Rise Society. Thank you all so much for being here. I appreciate it. Let's talk about the conference and tell me, what is it all about? At its core, Early to Rise is really a new kind of career fair, and it's designed to prepare these young women for a bright future by connecting them with professional women in the St. Louis community. And why is it important? Oh, creating a pipeline for success for young women is, I think, one of the most important things that we can do. This is such an important, informative time in young women's lives and helping them identify their strengths and create a bright personal and professional future. And so, Tam, what do you expect to get out of attending this conference? I'm actually part of the advisory board, so I'm just really hoping to see all my ideas flesh out on what I dreamed this conference would be come to life. Yeah, and Alana, just fill me in. What do you think the conference should be? Well, being a part of the Teen Advisory Board, I really think the conference should be a great way for teenagers like myself who are in high school to just meet wonderful young women who are in a plethora of different um, businesses and jobs and careers. And then when you talk about creating this pipeline, what exactly do you mean? How does it work? Oh, sure, absolutely. So at Rice Society, our programming um, includes amazing programs like the um, Early to Rise Career Fair. We also do mentorship programming, so serving junior and senior high school girls, matching them with professional St. Louis women from a variety of experiences and backgrounds. Um, it's a year-long program through the school year, September to nice. April. Yeah. Yes. So tell me about some of the women who are involved in the program. I'm involved, um, a wealth of women really. We pull from all over the St. Louis area. Actually at Early to Rise, we're gonna have a panel with uh, a lawyer, a psychologist, and a uh, user experience designer from Boeing. So it's quite a variety. Yeah, and so this program, because it is geared towards women, young mm -hmm. girls as well, why is there such a need for a program like this now in 2019? I think it's hard to be what you can't see. And so putting these professionals in front of them where they can see all the possibilities that are really available is so important. Yeah. So have you young ladies had an opportunity to interact with successful women in St. Louis, Tam? Yes, we were both part of the mentorship program and I loved it so much. My mentor, Alyssa Billingsley, really helped me figure out what it was like in a workplace environment and she really helped me figure out stress management, time management. Oh, I like that, especially stress management. <laughs> Alana, what about you? I definitely loved it. My mentor, Dominique Novelli, was a wonderful person. She helped me figure out time management, figure out realizing, you know, you need to take time for yourself and also not do too much. And she also just helped me become a more professional person and understand, like, interactions yes. in the professional world. Yes, awesome. So tell me your hopes and dreams. What are your plans? Um, I really want to uh, take a major in biochemistry, and I hope to master in dietetics and nutrition. You will. Tam, what about you? I'm actually a little bit undecided right now, which yeah. is why I joined this program to begin nice. with, because it really helps connect me with a variety of women. So right now I'm looking at engineering and the medical field. Yeah. 
Good. And the fact that you said this is a year-round program, oh. that's awesome. Because a lot of times you see these kinds of programs, it's like, it's like once a month or once a week, but year-round? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as these women just um, attested to, they built a real and genuine relationship. You know, one-off interactions are fantastic, but this is about creating a really meaningful and impactful relationship between two people and someone they can really trust and count on. And so anyone who wants to attend the conference, what should they be doing right now? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Rise Society Inc. We're going to be posting more about the women who are going to be there and how to get involved, or you can go online to risesocietyinc.org. That's right, and the deadline to register for the conference is uh, the 20 21st. First, thank 21st. you very much. Got a little time. Yeah, we have five spots available. That's it? That's it. Almost yeah. Well. Oh, I know. Wow. So how many total? 25. We want mm -hmm. to keep it an intimate environment right. where everyone can really interact. Wow. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for coming in and thank you for what thank you're doing you. in the thank community. You. We thank appreciate you so much. it. And thank you for joining us for this week of the Pulse of St. Louis. Remember, if you missed any part of the show, download the Pulse of St. Louis podcast in the iTunes or Google Play stores. And remember for news 24-7, download the free Fox 2 and News 11 apps. I'll see you next time.